0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au Good
1: morning, everybody. Hi, I'm going to read our Bible reading, and it's from the New International Version and it's taken from Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centraea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings.
0: Well, I'm glad Hillary read that. Well, for those of you who ticked last week in that, uh, you know, on that uh, sheet of paper I hand out that it was compulsory, you know, for people in every situation to greet each other with a holy kiss, well, there it was in scripture for us this morning. But, uh, yeah, I'd say that a bit in jest. Obviously, you know, it's not one of those things that are, um, compulsory in every culture, but something that was specific to those people at that time. Let me pray. Father, thanks for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It richly uh, shows us the path, enlightens us to who you are. Lord, we can learn even from this list of names so much about you and about your work. I pray that you would uh, touch our hearts with it this morning. And help us to know you more, and to know your purposes more, and to know the calling that you have on our lives to join you in mission. I pray this in Jesus' name. Well, one of my um, one of my deepest and lasting memories of our um, of our work as missionaries in Malawi isn't actually something that happened in Malawi. Funnily enough, it uh, it's a memory actually from when we were back here in Australia on home assignment. We used to come back periodically and go round to different churches and talk about our work and um and uh yeah and and seek support. But when we first went to Malawi I can remember going round and uh what we thought we needed we thought we needed was prayer support and what we needed we thought was financial support. But actually once we got to Malawi once we got there and started living there and working, we actually realised that we actually needed something much more than that. We actually needed partners, partners who would actually stand with us for the long haul. And uh, I remember uh, on our final uh, home assignment, after we came back to live in Melbourne, um, we we started to meet, uh, go around and meet some of the people in the churches again, but we actually met people we'd never met before. And they came up to us, sort of look like out of the woodwork, and they told us that they'd been praying for us and the ministry amongst the Yao. And some of them actually said to us, I've been praying for you every day for 25 years. And also for the ministry of the Yao, amongst the Yao. And these people, they knew the other cross-cultural workers that we worked with. Uh, They knew their names, the children. They knew their birthdays, and it blew my mind because they even knew about the the, some of the people we worked with, who we mentioned in our newsletters, and they would often pray for them. And they because they knew about their life situation as well. And so this uh, this commitment to me was something that blew my mind. It blew my mind because I think it's and it speaks really into what I want to talk about today, which is that, that mission is only possible in partnership together. It's not a solo act. And so uh, the video clip that we saw of Tim just now, Tim Downs, a friend of ours, a colleague of ours who currently lives and work works similar with Melanie, his wife, and his two kids, Jared and Clayton, Um. Tim was talking about uh, about the work that he was doing amongst the Yao and particularly amongst the Yao leaders and how it was developing. And he was excited because he was talking about a young man named Dogu who uh, who led his first Bible study to a group of about 20 or 30 Yao uh, in his own village. And so what Tim told us was he was delighted to see Dogu begin to unpack uh, what God had taught him from a passage of scripture and he did this in his own language, in his own village and in a way that people in his own uh, community could relate to. Now, it's easy for us here this morning to think, oh, well, yep, that's that's the hard work of two really dedicated cross-cultural workers in Malawi. And we could just think, well, good on them. But I think that would be the wrong conclusion for us to draw this morning. You see, Dogu was able to give this Bible study to his own people in his own language and in in a culturally appropriate way because of this sort of long-term partnership that between God and and people in Baptist churches all around Australia have had uh, that's been going on now for several decades. You see, the work in Dogu's village started... uh, more than 15 years ago uh, even before Tim and Mel arrived it started with God working by his spirit moving some Yao people to begin to yearn and seek after God as for um, as for Dogu leading his first Bible study well that's actually started when another Yao man named Hassan, Desiring to know more of God actually waved me down one day on the road uh, to my house as I passed by his village and he waved me down because he wanted to ask me if someone would come from our mission to share with them the word of God. Is it a coincidence that Hassan had a growing desire to know God? Is it a coincidence that he was on the road that day? Is it a coincidence that Wendy and I went to Malawi, uh, or that he, he was, he was actually seeking after God? I don't believe it is. And I don't believe it is because I know that people in Australia, people like Ruth and Pauline and Ian and Pat have been praying, uh, for many years. Committed as being partners in this missionary venture, using their spiritual gift of prayer and actually praying for the Yao and for intercultural workers, uh, who are working amongst them. That day, uh, in the, as, uh, Hassan waved me down and he told me he wanted, uh, me to come and, um, and, and teach in his village, I, uh, I responded positively. But what choice did I have when Pauline and Ruth and Ian and Pat and all these other people were praying for me? What choice did I have but to respond positively because the Spirit of God was at work in them and work in me? And so I did. I responded positively. And uh, if people, you should know that people are praying for you in this church as well. And that should be a great comfort to us. Um, and I began re- leading a Bible study, um, Which I don't know if that's the right one. Anyway, I began reading a, a leading a Bible study in Hassan's village and, um, where he lived and he came to faith and then he was baptized. And, uh, a couple of years later though, Hassan decided that he wanted to, his, his wife wanted to move back to her village. So they moved the whole family back there and I began to visit Hassan and his family in that village as well. And at that village, he introduced me to his wife's uncle, Mr. Ant, who is actually the chief of that village. And the thing is that Hassan had already told Mr. Ant about, uh, about the Bible study and about what we were doing in his own village. And um, there we go, there's the picture of Mr. Ant and Hassan. And uh, then Mr. Ant asked me if I would come and start doing a Bible study in his village as well because he wanted to, him and his extended family wanted to know more about God and the work of God, what God was doing through Jesus. Hassan and I and uh, another Yao colleague began then to lead a Bible study in Mr uh, Ant's village and uh, other people started to come. Including Mister Ant and including that young young man Dogu, who used to come to this Bible study, and in time Dogu also put his faith in Jesus, and the group began to continue to grow. And last year we heard that um, that uh, that he led his first Bible study in front of twenty to thirty people. How did that happen? How does it happen that a guy standing on the road? wave someone down, and then you get this group of people who are meeting around to hear and listen to the word of God? Is it a coincidence? Was it just the hard work of a couple of uh, dedicated people in Malawi? Well, I don't believe it was. Well, they worked hard, of course. But I believe that it was by God's people joining in what God is doing in partnership so that other people can encounter Jesus and follow him in ways that make sense to them their context. You see, to see other people encountering Jesus and forming vibrant faith communities in their own distinctive styles, we actually need to join what God is doing and we need to collaborate and we need to work together using our spiritual gifts, using our abilities and using our means. The reality is that many people will never actually get to hear about Jesus in a way that they can understand, unless we join together and work in partnership. Because there's there's, a, there's no successful mission enterprise done by lone rangers. If you look in the Bible, you notice that God himself doesn't work alone. He graciously invites us into partnership with him to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his mouthpieces. And it's not just a few dedicated people who are called to be on mission with God, We're all called to collaborate, cooperate and to cheer one another on in mission, no matter our gender, no matter our age, our ethnicity, our education level or skills or even our spiritual gifting. And we're called to do this so that other people can encounter God and uh, know God through Jesus. Partnership is the heart of mission. And so Australian Baptists have been working uh, in mission uh, since 1885, we sent two women, Ellen Arnold and Mari Gilbert, to India. Um, but even then, it wasn't just Ellen and Mari uh, who were involved in mission, you see. They received encouragement and support from people and churches from around Australia who paid their journey and who gave them money so they could survive and live and, and minister in, in, uh, in India to the Bengali-speaking people. So this mission was not just about Ellen and Mari, it was was about people joining God, working together, using their spiritual gifts, their abilities and their means to see people in India encountering Jesus. And this is what Baptists have been doing ever since, and we've been doing it through our international sending agency, Global Interaction. And it's what our Baptist churches are trying to do in each state in Australia. And it's what we are trying to do here in this church at Moonee Ponds as we engage with people in the Moonee Valley. Today, I want to invite you to consider God's call to be partners with him and his mission to the world. And I want to encourage you to be open to what this means for you as an individual, as a family, and also what it means to us together corporately as a church. It's not a question of, has God called uh, me or us into mission or not? That's that's not the right question. Because the answer to that question has already been settled by being a follower of Jesus. And that answer was not even written in fine print. At the bottom of the document, it was actually written in bold. It was actually spoken by Jesus. Quite plainly. So rather the right question this morning is how has God called me to participate in God's mission to the world? What role will I play in that partnership? You might not be a person who goes physically to Malawi or to Thailand or to the Silk Road. You might not be a person who physically goes to La Trobe University like Sally or, or to the docks like Ian and Vivian. You might not have the spiritual gifts for teaching or preaching or an ability to speak another language, though I think we actually all do, some of us probably better than others. But it doesn't mean if you don't have any of those things that you don't still have a vital role to play by praying, by opening up your home, by cooking meals, by providing transport, by lending a vehicle, by giving financially, so that others who have upfront gifts and abilities can go and do those things. It's been wonderful to see this church over the past few weeks again providing meals to people in need, people stepping up, cooking, saying yes, putting their hand up. That's mission. That's that's mission in action. And I want to commend you and encourage you to keep on doing that. You know, partnership is a strong theme throughout the New Testament and it's something that Paul models in several places, including, as we heard this morning, In this passage in the book of Romans. And you might think, well, what's, what are are you talking about? That was just a list of names. Well, Paul mentions 27 names of people in that, in that passage that he read to us. 27 names of people, uh, who were partners with him and the other people who, who were traveling around with him in mission. He doesn't praise the people who are traveling with him, the upfront people. Or a bunch of scholars, or or professional missionaries. His name he names twenty seven ordinary, soul of the earth type people, men and women who have worked with him in different ways to get the job done. As Paul names some of the people who are in partnership with him, he celebrates the way that they've each played a role in God's mission. And I want to just mention a few. I'm not going to go through all twenty seven names this morning, so don't get nervous. First person he mentions is Phoebe. She was mentioned first because she was actually the one who was entrusted to deliver his letter to the church in Rome. How does she contribute to mission, the mission of God? Paul says that she played a a role in her own local church. Presumably this is one of the churches that Paul first started. He calls her a deacon and, and she serves her own community. She's also a woman of means. She doesn't have a male accompanying her to Rome. She's going in her own right, but she obviously has servants and people working with her who can help her on that journey. And so it seems that she was able to contribute a lot of money uh, to the work of the church and also to the mission that Paul was, uh, was actually carrying out. Prisca and Aquila, also they're mentioned in the list, or Priscilla as she's also mentioned. They used their gifts and abilities to help the gospel spread and they also used their gifts and abilities to to consolidate the work that Paul and the others were doing in different places. You see, they were tent makers by trade and so they travelled around a lot and stayed in different places. And wherever they went, wherever they stayed, they actually opened their home for churches for house churches, for people to meet in and hear about Jesus. I get excited by this. This is what I think we should really pick up on. This is how people encounter Jesus. They don't walk into our church necessarily on a Sunday to encounter Jesus, but they do encounter Jesus in your home, around your kitchen table and on your couch because they encounter it, him and you. They hear about the hope you have. They hear about the passion of your heart. And this is what people encountered in Prisca and Aquila. You see, Prisca and Aquila, he praises them. He says, uh, he praised them not as helpers, but as fellow workers. He really gives them this high praise. You see, they they were like Samwise Gamgee and Pippin and Mary in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings because they risked their life for Paul and they risked their life for the gospel. They put themselves on the line. They weren't upfront people like Paul. They had different spiritual gifts, different abilities and personalities, but they used what they had to see the gospel spread. Another couple mentioned uh, are called Andronicus and Julius, a uh, Junius. Paul says that they came to faith before him they also suffered for their faith. This is a man and a wife. They are imprisoned, probably separately, and Paul calls them apostles. It's an unusual term, isn't it? Apostle. It's usually a title that's given to the 12 men who were with Jesus and who went on to spread the uh, good news around after the death of Jesus. But here... This title, Apostle, is given to Junius, a woman, as he saw her playing the role in spreading the gospel, in sharing her faith and in teaching others. What does that tell us then? Well, it tells us that if you've got a spiritual gift, you get the job. If you have given a spiritual gift of teaching or preaching or practising hospitality or leading or speaking words of knowledge, Then you should fan these gifts into flame and use them for the glory of God, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your age is, no matter what your culture. This is what God wants us to do. Paul also mentions two women, Tryphena and Tryphosa, most likely twins. Their mother had a great time naming them. But their names actually meant delicate and dainty. But they were nothing like that because Paul uses this word that they toiled so hard that they almost toiled to the point of exhaustion. That was a verb that he used to describe them. And they did this for the sake of the gospel. And my favourite in this list, and I'm not going to go on with any more, is Philologus. And Philologus, for those of you who know some Greek, his name actually means chatterbox. And so I can imagine that Philologus that he actually lived up to his name, unlike uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. And I can imagine that he went around, wherever he went, he chatted and talked to anyone and everyone about Jesus. And that might be your gift this morning as well. But it's not just Paul that needs partners like these people, these 27 people, and there were more. These were just a few that he mentions in Romans. We need more people like them in our church today. We need everyone, everyone here, all of us, to step up and be partners with God and his mission to the world. You see, here in, in Romans 16, Paul celebrates the way that each of these 27 people played a part in God's mission and it was through them working together that other people encountered Jesus, entered God's kingdom and were transformed. Friends, this is an old story but it's also a current story. And it's, the only, and it's only when each of us, you and I, are willing to accept our, the role of being partners with others in the mission of God that we'll actually see vibrant faith communities emerging. Partnership occurs when people give generously and sacrificially. Partnership occurs when people commit to praying specifically and regularly. Partnership occurs when people open up their homes to others and allow their stuff, the things we buy, to be used for God's purposes. Partnership occurs when we advocate for others or when we encourage, encourage others about what God is doing in this place or through these sorts of other people. These contributions that people made in uh, Romans 16, they, they weren't second-rate contributions. They weren't auxiliary to what mission is. Paul counts all of those people and what they did. He counts them as fellow workers and apostles with him. And I believe that's what will be counted as as well for the part that we play in God's mission to the world, whatever that is, according to your spiritual gifts, according to your abilities and according to uh, the passion that God places in your heart. It's only by you and I entering into partnership together that actually I can stand up here each week and bring a message to you. It's only by people being in partnership with this church that Nathan can actually set aside time to work with youth and and young adults. It's only by partnership that we can actually run our community meal on a Monday night. It's only by partnership that uh, we can stream the service live this morning, although you can hear me because we've got people working on the sound or that we can get a tea and a coffee afterwards, or that people can uh, l- linger around and have a chat. It's only by partnership that carols in the street are going to happen this week, In this, not this week, <laughs> not Christmas yet. It's only by uh, partnership that carols in the street are going to take place and people in our neighbourhood could come along and, and, and actually encounter something themselves. And maybe think, well, maybe the, maybe I need to think more about God, who I who I remember following or or uh, hearing about in my youth. It's only by partnership that uh, a woman like Petra, who I mentioned a few weeks ago, can actually live there on the Silk Road and read scriptures with a lady by the name of Mrs. K. And it's only in partnership that and Dennis, Ian and Vivian Dennis can minister to seafarers or Sally can minister to people at La Trobe, or that uh, Jomel and Benny can oversee ministry in the Philippines or that Tim can men- continue to mentor Dogu and other Yao believers in Malawi and help them to lead Bible studies and establish vibrant faith communities. You see, it's all about partnership, friends. And that's what God is calling us to to be involved with. Behind each of those 27 names that Paul mentioned, there are significant stories of contributions that perhaps only Paul and God know about, but actually, which actually are significant in terms of how people go on and encounter God and uh, encounter Jesus and enter into God's kingdom and be transformed. As we consider God's call to be partners with him in mission to the world, What can we take away ourselves then from these, uh, from, from Romans 16 that we can actually put into practice this week ourselves? And I want to suggest to you five quick takeaways. The first takeaway is that Paul and his group of 27 people were actually united together for a common purpose. They were all working in their own way according to their own spiritual gifts and abilities and means to see people encountering Jesus and the good news and be transformed. And so the imperative for us is that we also must work together for that same purpose. That's the purpose that God calls us to, to see people encountering Jesus and be transformed because there's nothing more important than sharing the love of God and seeing people encountering Jesus and experiencing grace and forgiveness. The second takeaway that, that uh, we need to take with us this morning is that we're all called to be—that uh, we're called primarily to be in partnership with people. Okay? In Romans 16, we hear about 27 real people with real names who were involved in a dynamic and deep relationship with other people who are involved in the mission of God. And so, therefore, as a church, we also need to be part, be committed to partnering with people both locally and globally. It's not primarily projects or initiatives that we need to support. We need to invest in people because people relate to people. The third takeaway is that partnership involves prayer. Knowing that uh, people were praying for Wendy and I and for our work amongst the YOW, for for 20 years, wasn't just sentimental encouragement to us. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, people are thinking about us. You see, prayer is actually a strategic part of mission and ministry because actually we're involved in a real spiritual battle. We and I literally lost our lives on several occasions in Malawi and we believe that we survived because the people of God were praying for us. The same goes for ministry in this church. Without bathing our mission and ministry in prayer, we may as well pack up and go home. Several weeks ago, I had a really terrible week, actually. I went home after speaking here and um, I felt really low and uh, didn't go away, continued to feel low for the entire week and I didn't know what was going on. I, I thought I'd be able to shake it as I began to get into my week. And so even towards the end of the week, I said to Wendy, oh, Wendy, I I think I've been under some sort of spiritual attack. And she says, I know, I've been praying for you. And so we committed to praying ourselves together that day about that. And I also mentioned it to some other people as well in the church and uh, they began to pray for me and and then I began to feel this lowness leave me. There are dark forces in the heavenly realms waged against people, which means that nothing of consequence really is going to happen without prayer. In uh, Romans 1.9, Paul says he prays day and night and remembers the people he is in partnership with. Friends, one of the most powerful practical and consequential things that you can do this year is to become a prayer partner with this church and also a prayer partner with uh, our mission partners who are working around the globe. The fourth takeaway this morning is that mission uh, requires people who will take practical action. In Romans 16 we see people who are partnering with others in practical ways. They had people stay in their houses. They, had people, they invited people home for meals. They shared their finances. They used the means that God had given them to support ministry of the church in different places. The reality is, is, as a church, we can only minister in our area because of the commitment and generosity of all of you who give generously and sacrificially each week. And the same goes for mission globally today. You see, today, 42% of the world are considered least reached. In other words, 42% of the world, that's real people with real names, have still not had the opportunity to hear a clear presentation of what God has done for them in Christ in their own language and in a way that they can relate to. And, and here's the kicker. Only 2% of all Christian giving goes to helping Those people hear about Jesus. Friends, if you're concerned about justice, then you know instinctively that that's not right. We're a generous church and I want to suggest to you today that that we continue to give generously. But also I want to encourage you today that we begin to also give very strategically so that we can support cross-cultural workers working directly with those least-reached communities, those 42% who are yet to hear about Jesus. I want to thank all of you today for giving generously to the mission of this church, both locally and globally. But I also want to put out a challenge. Next week, uh, we're presenting our budget to the church for the coming year. It's actually a budget written in faith. It's a budget that's investing in people so that other people can have the opportunity to encounter Jesus both locally and globally. And I want to encourage you not only to support the budget by voting for it, but also by giving generously each meet, so each week so that we can actually meet our commitments. Lastly this morning, uh, the last takeaway is that partnership sees potential. Partnership is always an act of faith. We know very little about what happened to those 27 people that Paul mentioned in in Romans, but we do know that they were committed to the vision of seeing people are encountering Jesus and seeing faith communities form, and in many ways I believe we saw that uh, potential actually achieved. They saw the potential and they went for it. And how do we know that? How do we know that they achieved what they saw? Well, we know that after Jesus' crucifixion, there were only 120 people, 120 believers. But 350 years later, there were 33 million followers of Jesus in the world. How did that happen? Well, it happened through God, through the gospel spreading through ordinary men and women who used what they had so that others could encounter Jesus as well. Friends, Jesus is calling us uh, on mission with Him today through the ministry of this church. It will happen when each of us agree that we are all on mission together. It will happen when each of us agree that, uh, that each of us in our own way have something to bring, something to contribute. It requires each of us to ask God to show us what our contributions will be and then actually be willing to use them for his sake. You see, there's more power when we work together than when we work alone. And I want to encourage you to invest, pray, and be involved practically today so that others who are yet to meet Jesus, might have the opportunity to do so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those 27 people, people you know, contributions that they made that you know about that we don't. But we see the ripple effect through history. We thank you for the people who have contributed to the work of, of uh, sharing the gospel in this community already before us. Over many years, we're the result of that. People opening their homes, sharing their own stuff, giving generously, putting their hand up for different roles, having a go. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who do that, that we would join you in your mission to the world and we would uh, see you reaping a great harvest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.